Don't miss the magic and the men behind Talking Tricks with Cain and Abel live will be at the following places. May the 31st will be returning to the Brighton Fringe Festival and then for the whole of that long weekend we're there on June the 1st and June the 2nd. June the 14th we'll be in Hastings. June the 26th to the 30th we'll be performing at the Glastonbury Festival and July the 26th to the 28th we'll be at Kendall Calling. And then for the whole of August we'll be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with two shows daily, Split Egg, a magic show about being twins and the two magicians. Go to www.caneandablemagic.com for more. You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety and comedy performers. Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast with us, Kane and Abel, two magicians with the exact same voice, two magicians with one heck of an episode of Talking Tricks coming up for you, and we've had a busy week, so we're coming to you towards the middle of the week, which as you know, you may expect during the summer months, because we've been to Greece, London... Yeah, we're working, they don't care, Abel, come on, get on with it, we've all got gigs, I had a gig last week, I had a gig last week, come on, for goodness sake. Yeah, so we, yeah, you know, we've been jet-setting all over place but I did get a chance this week to spend a few hours in London and during that time I had a great interview with the person that we've got coming up a real enviable career also went back to Shropshire picked up a few books got myself Mulaney and his magic from our grandfather's collection very interesting book and I also gifted Ed a book on Alan Wakelin which you've not quite flicked through yet have you the magic of Alan Wakelin the works of a master magician. It's quite a new looking book by the looks of things. It is Jim Steinmeier, it is has authored it. And uh, yeah, it, there's a trick in there that we're going to put into our brand new Edinburgh show, The Two Magicians with Cain and Abel. So we're kind of, you know, reading through that. So Cain might give you a book review in a few weeks on that. And yeah, so sorry if we're, you know, a little bit tired this week because, you know, it's. Sorry. What did you say? Nothing, I was just reading my book. No, you said something then. I didn't. You... Hold on. Sorry if we're, you know, a little bit tired this week, because, you know, it's... There you are. You just called me a snowflake, didn't you? I did... I did not. It must be the air conditioning. It's there for everyone. I've turned the air conditioning off. It's the first thing I do before I record anything. You called me a snowflake. Is this a... Are you trying to create an argument? I would never try to create an on-air argument. If it's an argument you want, then I've got no problems having an argument. Oh, well, go on then. You started off. I'm not starting it. I started the last one. No, you didn't. I did. You didn't. Did. Did. Didn't. Did. 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 Didn't. Did. Didn't. Did. Did. Didn't. Did. 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 Did, 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 uh... Ow! You just hit me! You just physically assaulted me live on the radio! I can't believe you... of Earth. This is officially the end of Talking Tricks and the end of Cain and Abel. I've killed him. 
if there's any police listening or anyone, please call Die Die Die. Send a police officer to 123 Fake Street. I'm killed my only brother. What about Will, our other brother? Hey, you're not dead. I'm alive. Abel, thank goodness you're alive. I'm alive. Play the episode. Let's get on with it. Joining us now on Talking Tricks from South London, it's Magical Bones. The number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy, and variety. You're listening to Talking Tricks. Joining us now on Talking Tricks is Magical Bones. A song that listeners may know from his TV show, Around the World in 80 Tricks. A concept I, as soon as you told me about, I was very jealous that I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> great idea. Also as well from Impossible, but before we get on to Bones's magical career, there's a whole other career in show business before then, a hip-hop dancer. Tell me kind of all about that, and was that your first puree into live performance? Absolutely, and uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, I'll get straight into it. I <clears throat> started off as a break dancer um, in college. Uh, B-boy is the official kind of terminology. And I used to practice with my friends and stuff like that. And through that, I um, ended up doing a lot of music videos, a lot of competitions, events and started to carve out this professional career as a professional hip-hop dancer um you know doing um like i said music videos award shows and dance mind some really cool artists and stuff and yeah that was the the beginning of my professional career um i used to also used to dance on the street actually as a busker by the south bank um so part of your work as a dancer is sort of managing you know money and managing your time is like you know you get some really good jobs and sometimes you get some jobs where you have to do some that aren't really good and you know street street performing is is good and it's amazing um but it can be hard work but it also can be uh, incredibly fun as well so i used to do <coughs> street performing at the south bank and uh commercial jobs as a dancer so i've got a question for you uh for the street performing because a lot of our uh, guests on here have been street performers, Charlie Capers has been on, a lot of people that listen to it I know are streeties as well. Um, were you dancing in sort of a big troupe then or, or were you kind of a, a one-man band? Uh, when I was a street performer I was in a, a group yeah so we were one motion um, and yeah it was just like six or seven sometimes ten b-boys you know, all doing a show, a performance, getting a crowd involved, and then at the end of the show, splitting the money between ourselves, so yeah. So if I go in and do Covent Garden, I can often be like, right, I'm either gonna do two or three shows until I get to the level of money I want to earn for the day. How many shows are you having to do a day when you're in a b-boy group? Um, well, we had a sort of a unique kind of uh, position, because when we were at the South Bank, there wasn't actually that many performers as there are in somewhere like Covent Garden. So yeah. we were able to do a lot more shows. So we used to do around 10 shows. When you first start out, you do around 20 to make any sort of good money. Wow. Then you get to a level of where you start to work things out, what works on the street, what doesn't work on the street. Um, so yeah, towards the end, we were, we were doing between five and six shows yeah. a day. And at that point, was your aim very much to kind of get onto the stage and get into kind of music videos and things like that? 
No, because I, I did it kind of simultaneously. So it's kind of like you're not always going to have a great music video or, um, you know, be on a on telly or whatever it is every day of your career. So you need to supplement your income um, through other means. And I didn't really fancy doing working in a retail job or doing something else. I wanted to keep it within the field of entertainment and dance. So why not make money on the street? And you know, street um, <clears throat> money can be very lucrative if you're good at it. Um, so what were, before we get onto the magic then, what were some of the highlights then from your, your dance career, for want of a better term? Um, I, uh, I did uh, some work with um, Madonna at some of her private parties. Um, I was did some work with Alicia Keys. I did um, the Brit Awards. I did uh, a video that went went to number one called Mint Royal Singing in the Rain. That's a big music video over here. Um, I also did a really cool video which I was like the main feature called Let the Beats Roll. Um, that's like some of the highlights. Oh, actually, I worked on a big show many moons ago called Africa Africa which is like this circus kind of musical show that was the O2 and um, I was one of the featured uh, performers there and that was a really amazing experience to do that uh, yeah I mean I was a dancer for a long time so there's so many things I have to check back but some of the best experiences and highlights was just being on the street in front of you know three four hundred people and just creating this amazing experience between you as a performer and them as the spectators and it's amazing energy. So that, to me, some of the street shows are, will always like stick in my mind um, forever, basically. Yeah, it's nothing like being in central London, hooking all these people in who are either on their way home from work or they're like tourists and this is their holiday and then you're like the thing that they see on the street. Yeah, it's, it's, great. it's beautiful, it's organic and you know, it becomes this amazing experience. So yeah. So was has magic always kind of been something you're in interested in, or have you always had an interest in it, or kind of did it get to a point when you were kind of dancing that you picked it up? No, I actually, <clears throat> I guess my first hobby was magic. So I I had uh, a magic set when I was ten, um, and I was fascinated by it. So I started reading more books on it, um, and I was fortunate enough to have my drama teacher who was a magician, David Weeks, uh, from the Magic Circle. So some of you may know him, I think a lot of you would know him. Um, and he was my drama teacher. So he also encouraged me to, you know, pursue it as a, as a serious hobby. So I had, you know, Royal Road to Card Magic, Expert Card Technique, um, Bobo's Modern Coin Magic. And in, in those days, you know, it was mainly books. So I went through that uh, tedious process of trying to understand what, you know, a four finger um, grip, the four, you know, all that kind of um, push off doubles you're trying to read just in a textbook versus like, you know, now we have a lot more video and YouTube, etc. So now I've been doing magic a long time. Yeah, kids these days will never understand. <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? It's like, I don't get that. How, like, what? And just like, um, yeah. And yeah, so I, I started when I was very, very young and it was a kind of serious hobby. It was something I did just amongst other magicians and friends of mine as a hobby. And so you mentioned your driver teacher, 
was Mr. Weeks, yeah. Mr. Weeks was a magician. So, did you grow up in London? Where, where you yeah, I'm you from go? London. I grew up in South London. Uh, went to Forest Hill Boys. And, um, yeah, so that was the school I went to, secondary school I went to. Nice. I lived in Forest Hill for two weeks when I first moved to London. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice area. Then I emigrated out to Croydon. But anyway, <laughs> not about my life in the yeah. South. Um, cool. So when did you kind of then take magic from, from a, a serious hobby into, into a full-time career? I'm interested to hear that kind of progression that you went on there and why it kind of overtook the dancing and stuff. Well, as I was doing, it actually started from that show I mentioned earlier on Africa, Africa, where I was around this vast amount of talented performers with all different skill sets and who were just every day, you know, it was very creative. Um, and, you know, I w I've always been doing magic on sets, um, music video sets, you know, casually. And like, when I was in Africa, Africa, I was also doing magic backstage, you know, for people just as casually. But it, it sort of inspired me to sort of incorporate some ideas into, you know, my dance and just, I guess evolve as a performer, um, you know, I was just a dancer and I was like, you know what, when you're around all these different artists who've got weird sorts of skills, like there's one guy who was called Waterman and he could, similar to, he could, um, he could, uh, what's that, what's that, when you blow, you basically vomit water out of your, yeah. um, of your stomach and, you know, spouts of water come out, he would just, that was his, his act in the show. Um, he also used to eat glass and all sorts of weird things they do in the circus. And it just inspired me to say, you know what, let me think about me as a performer more creatively and, and grow. Um, so I, I just started sort of evolving. And then I started um, doing close-up magic professionally, but just sort of, get the odd gig here and there. Someone say, oh, you're really good. Do you want to come do my party? And I say, okay, yeah, why not? I'll do this party. And it just was sort of a natural progression. I started doing more of that and, you know, being more creative in terms of trying to fuse dance and magic together. And it was just a natural evolution, I guess. Nice. And so kind of what, what year is this so that I can get? I'd say that's time? around 2009, 2010. Yeah. So then how many years... Because I guess the first thing I'm aware of you doing was the show on the South Bank in 2015. So kind of, were you sort of just is close up and dance for those kind of five years at that point? or I spent a long time working out what, who am I as a performer? Where am I taking this? These all, you know, I'm a skilled dancer and also a skilled close-up magician. And where am I taking this? How do I grow as an artist? And so a lot of those years were spent just developing ideas but I'm also bold and courageous so I did I decided to create a stage show in 2011 at the Lost Theatre which doesn't actually exist anymore in Wandsworth um, so I just I just created this show I wrote this show um, called it The Slight of Dance and it was you know a culmination of all my ideas of magic and dance and movement and I just invite people down. It was just one of those things where I just booked a theatre uh, and just put all my ideas together. Um, had no experience in actually doing my own, producing my own theatre. I've been in big 
productions, like I said, Africa, Africa, but I didn't actually have any experience myself putting on a 60 minute theatre show. Um, so it was a very interesting <laughs> show, um, but I loved it, yeah. There's probably people listening that are at a level with magic that maybe they're thinking, I want to put on my first 60 minute theatre show. Yeah. Um, save them some of the trouble. Uh, what might be some of your advice to people that are thinking of doing that at this point? Um, I think if I was to go back, <clears throat> I'd work on um, an act, if it be it five minutes, be it ten minutes, and hone that. And then be bold and courageous in the sense of like, go out and actually do that act, whether it's at a cabaret slot, a comedy slot, you know, um, whether it's um, at the end of a night of a close-up gig, gathering the group together and saying, hey guys, I want to show you one last thing for the entire group. Um, um, for the entire group. And yeah, so start doing that. And then, you know, once you feel comfortable with your first five minutes and you're comfortable with yourself on stage and you understand it, put something else in. Uh, get to 10 minutes. And then, you know, and then 20 minutes. And then... And then, yeah, take it from there. Or you could do what I did and just book a theatre and just, like, if you've got the money to, to do that, then and learn the hard way. Sometimes that's good as well. Absolutely. But the main thing is, the best advice is just do it. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Get, ahead. get, out, get out there and do it. Um, and then you've kind of been a staple on then the, the South Bank um, underbelly for the, yeah. last, for the last few years. How did that start about then for you? Was that a case of just trying to book it or...? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've been successful in my shows, you know, I've always had um, a good turnout. Um, and, and yeah, I just, you know, I marketed it really well. Um, and then, so that was, it. I'm talking about the Lost Theatre. Yeah. And then I just, for ages, I was trying to just pitch to Soho Theatre, Underbelly, um, and... I got a bit lucky because I got booked via an agent um, and she got me in a slot. It was actually the worst slot because it, the, the worst slot to do in Underbelly is April because it's the beginning of the season, it's a, like a four month season and there's not a lot, that much traffic. You know, people don't, don't really know about it. So I did the opening weekend um, but what I was, what I did was I did the show on the day of my birthday and the other show on the day, of the, basically it was on the 10th and the 11th and my birthday's on the 10th. So I run the show on both those days and I said, look, family and friends, I don't care what you're doing, you have to come and see my show because it's my birthday. And I made people feel like um, obliged to, <laughs> to have to come just to see the show for that. Um, and it was a good show, you know. Um, it, it, it was well received and that show actually got me into Impossible um, and yeah and well Impossible this could be such a long answer to this very simple question but what was it like being a part of that obviously there was the initial London run we and then the we actually the had a, we had a um, UK run yeah and then we came to London then we did an international run and you know being part of a big West End show it's an amazing experience. You learn so much. You learn, you get more confident. You be doing your material day in, day out. 
helps you become more polished. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, all of us that did Impossible just grew as performers and became better at what we, we do. And, you know, uh, you learn what works and what doesn't work very quickly um, for a Western crowd and, you know, an international crowd. So yeah, it was an amazing experience. And at that point, it must have been um, quite an increase in, in the, the size of the audiences you were performing magic to. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I, like, funny enough, like, I've always done quite big crowds. So from the streets, I was doing like 200, 300. When I went to, uh, when I did my first show in Wandsworth Theatre, that was 186 seater. Uh, and then in Underbelly, I was doing the room of 400 seats. So I was already kind of mid, you know, doing quite fairly large audiences. So Impossible in the West End, we do like 800 seats. And you go to something like Edinburgh and it's like 3,500. Um, and we've done, in, in Philippines, we did 14,000 seats. So the bigger, the better, I think. Not too big. I think it gets to a level of um, stage or illusion show where I think personally you lose that intimacy and you don't feel the connection with the, with the performer, regardless of whether it's singing, dancing or magic. But magic in particular, I think there needs to be a cut-off point in terms of the audience size. I'd say that's about 5,000 I think after 5,000, it doesn't feel as as, in, as powerful, as intimate. That's my own personal feeling on it, maybe, yeah. And talk us through, um, for maybe people that didn't see the show, talk us through the kind of magic you were doing in Impossible. So my character or my persona is the street magician, and I just bring the element of street magic from my, my perspective of being a street performer as a dancer, and you know I'm, I'm a hip hop enthusiast, a hip hop kind of b boy. So um, those elements I bring to the show. It's that the modern day cool. I like to think I'm cool. Um, magician, um, the modern way of looking at magic instead of like the classic stage illusion, um, box illusion type of presenter. I'm more like you know I do a backflip and catch a playing card. Um, this cool kind of modern magic. Nice. And then um, looking at that tour then, what were some of the, the best places you visited? We visited Dubai. That was amazing because it was really sunny and it's a beautiful place to go to. Uh, but I, I, for me, it probably was Philippines. Yeah. I love the Philippines. Um, the people there were really good. The audience was really responsive um, to the magic. And the, considering the fact we were doing 14,000 uh, seats and being able to still have that engagement and intimacy in such a big arena was an amazing experience. And were those whole shows, the Philippines will take as an example, was that whole show in English or was there kind of any translation going on in it? English. Yeah, cool. And um, when you were part of this show then, did you kind of, I'm interested to know because obviously you mentioned at the beginning that you were a dancer, but you always wanted to, you know, add more strings to your bow to do magic, and you wanted to build this kind of hour-long stage show, and then you're part of this huge, big machine, for want of a better term. Were you kind of happy as part of that machine, or were you kind of always thinking, do you know what, I'd like, I'd like to be doing the full hour myself? 
Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to be doing, uh, I think being in a, <clears throat> a show with six other magicians at that scale, you do have the um, comfort of, of like having other people take the burden of, I guess, deliverance um, upon themselves. But there is always a desire to, you know, have your own full scale, big, large spectacle. So yeah, I've always had that ambition and I still have that ambition. Um, I guess like Impossible was an inspiration. And uh, let, let's talk about the TV show Around the World in 80 Tricks. How did that come about? Um, that came about from just kind of putting myself out there in terms of just making myself being present in terms of like social media, I guess. Um, yeah, and just like being aware of what's going on in, in, in television and being bold and contacting um, different um, production companies, um, sometimes broadcasters directly, and just putting myself out there. And like, I got lucky. I say it's luck, but I say luck is when opportunity meets preparation. But I got the opportunity to be on Insight, which is the broadcaster that I was did around the world in 80 tricks. They were interested in 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 my magic. They liked some of the stuff they'd seen online. Um, and yeah, they just, they called me and I had a meeting. I, you know, told them about what I want to do. They told them about what they would like. And we went ahead and made the show. And was this, was this a concept that the two of you kind of worked on together or was this kind of something that, you, that you'd had in the back of your mind would be a, a good idea for a TV show? It wasn't, I kind of worked with the production company on the idea. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like my, it wasn't something I've always thought about around the world in tricks. I like the idea, but it wasn't like I have other ideas in terms of TV shows. Yeah. Um, but you know, you get to travel around the world doing tricks, so <laughs> I can't complain. <laughs> and and again, give us an overview of, of what that TV series was like. Some of the places you, you visited and some of the kind of tricks you did. On so it was a travelogue type of magic show, similar to like most magic shows, which yeah. are pretty much travelogues. So we got to go to you know Europe. Paris, Barcelona, um, South. Then we went to Asia, South Korea. Um, I didn't do India, but um, Pete Hathaway did India. So um, yeah, those are the destinations we went to. And what were some of the highlights of that for you then? I loved Korea, man. Korea was incredible. Um, just the way they're so responsive and so welcoming to magic, considering the fact that like. They can't speak English, I can't speak Korean, uh, yet we're still able to have this beautiful kind of conversation through performance. And, and it was really nice. Um, food was great as well, and the weather was good, so yeah. Happy days. And um, kind of trick-wise then, was it a case of the production company said, right, we need you to come up with 20 tricks that are going to happen across this TV show? or? Did they say, we like these things we've seen you do, we want you to do that on TV, and then also, here's some ideas we've got. How, how did the sort of scripting, I suppose, of the show come That about? particular show, I did most of the, uh, came up with most of the ideas in regards to the magic. It's mainly me um, and the people I brought along, the other consultants. Um, so it's just my ideas, really. 
Um, they were a new production company that didn't have any experience in making magic, so they relied heavily on, on me to do that. Nice. And, and who were some of the consultants that you worked with on that? Pete yeah. Hathaway. Um, I think Pete Hathaway is the main consultant I actually worked with. I did work with some other friends in magic. Uh, ben Hart was a friend of mine, and we bounced across some ideas. But Pete was the main consultant that worked in it for the show super and then kind of looking at, at where the show was broadcast it was insight here in the uk but it's kind of been shown yeah quite so a lot quite of quite the globe it's like 60 million homes across wow. the globe so um they've got lo- the channels in all sorts of in, in russia in um in europe and um, parts of the middle east i think so and has it run its course, or is it kind of still, uh, are you still getting notifications? Oh, it's just been played in Korea today. Yeah, yeah it's, it's always been played. It's, been, it's just been launched in Holland again. So I'm in Holland. Um, and, you know, it's, I think they still showcase it on, in the UK, <coughs> on Insight, on Sky. Um, but, yeah. And if someone was to want to kind of track this down and watch it, is it kind of out on YouTube or how would they? I think with Insight now, you need to sign up. Yeah. Um, So you can sign up to the channel, similar to like a Netflix it is, and you can just get Insight and watch it, watch the programs. Nice. And was kind of TV always something that you you kind of had a burning desire to do then? I mean, you mentioned kind of knocking on the doors of producers and stuff. Yeah, because I feel like, yeah, I feel like... um, you know, it's a great medium, along with social media, um, and yeah, what, why not? You know, we need we're artists. We need to express ourselves and show people what we do, and how best not to do it by not just going on telly and you know showing the world. And you kind of mentioned that uh, that was a concept that that they had, and you kind of worked with. I wonder then if you were, you know, if if I was a TV producer now, and I said right. Here's all the money, <laughs> free reign, go and do what, what you would do. Uh, what kind of stuff would you look to do then? What, what would be... I'm interested it? now as I grow as a performer, as a black performer, uh, black magician, I'm interested in um, exploring um, black magic per se. And what I mean by that is I'm interested in knowing, exploring like what audiences what me myself view that as is is it you know so i, I want to go down the road of looking at the black magicians throughout history yeah um black magic culturally so as a you know voodoo hoodoo conjure and just explain all of that so i would like to create a program um that sort of examines all of that so and, and, and it's almost like me sort of looking at these things as a as a as not as a black performer myself and just really because we black magic always has this negative connotation attached to it. So um, I'd like to sort of challenge some of those um, connotations, those notions. We've had quite a few female magicians on this podcast, and they've kind of spoke about barriers uh, against women getting into magic and actually having their profile increase. Is there a race issue in, in magic? Um, to be, in my experience, 
Not really. I'm going to be honest, in my own experience as a performer, I haven't experienced too much. However, um, I have come across um, issues, obviously, being black and being in the UK. I've been spoken to a lot of producers who said that, you know, the idea of a black magician being on t in telly on our screens, that's like, is never going to happen. Um, so I've come across that. I'm a street guy, right? I'm from South London, born and raised. And predominantly the, the people in magic clubs are, you know, they're not like me. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes there is this kind of um, barrier in terms of like, they there's a bit of a fear because they don't understand. When I was younger, this is what I felt, by the way, like maybe I'm not, the same as them, you know? Um, so sometimes in, when I used to go to conventions and stuff and, you know, everyone's on the table, the magicians are there, I'd kind of be looking and wanting to be involved, but like, there was this kind of like, oh, who's this, who's this kind of rude boy approaching our table? Uh, and then, you know, everyone would kind of like turn away. Um, so yeah, if, in terms of like, is there a, barrier those little things yes but performing um as a magician no black magic that was the name of your your latest show that was uh, the stage show yeah. in um underbelly um and it's a show i'm taking to edinburgh yeah again like i said it's just me exploring black magic is just me exploring just that that terminology what is it i want to challenge what people perceive that to be and then, so I guess the, the stage shows that very much as the kind of the, the concepts you spoke about with the TV show, but on stage, or is there a few slight differences? There will be slight differences from the concept I'd have from the TV show, because the TV show is more like, it's more me going back through history and then coming back to present day. Um, whereas the stage show is kind of, it is similar, but not similar at the same time. It's a weird thing. I mean, you guys have to come and see my show, which is on June the 12th and June the 26th. Shameless plug. Um, um, but it is it is kind of similar, but it's not, because it's going to be more historical, if you know what I mean. Um, or maybe you don't know what I mean. But like, I'll be looking, I would like to go to parts of the Americas yeah, and examine, you know, um, black magicians from previous and I do do that in my current stage show but um, you know I'll go delve into that a lot more and who are some of the, the black magicians then that, that are referenced or inspired this show so uh, this show in my stage show uh, the entry is to a guy called Henry Box Brown who was a former slave in the 1800s born in Virginia and he has this incredible story where he was able to um, escape from freedom by mailing himself in a box, literally, um, from Virginia to Pens uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where slavery was abolished. So he literally mailed himself to freedom. Um, he became this huge advocate for the um, abolishment of slavery. Um, he then came to the UK and toured his anti-slave magic show uh, for 25 years. 
So he's one figure I definitely am looking at, um, and you know we make a tribute to him. Um, other black magicians is Richard Potter, who was the first um, famous American magician, uh, full stop, and he was African American. Um, and then you have uh, Black Herman, um, and a few others that I'll be exploring. But yeah, there's this quite a few in in, um, in history and that also um, some from the UK as well so we're going to be looking into those. Nice and did you mention this is going up to Edinburgh as well then? This show particularly the one I'm doing in in um, Black Magic is going to Edinburgh yes. Nice so are you playing the full run there and, and where are you Full playing? run yeah and I'll be at the Underbelly so um, I'm at the I'm at the Daisy, I think, but I might have got that wrong. I might not be at the Daisy. I need to check my uh, email. But um, basically, I mean, I'm going to be on, um, yeah, I'm at Bristol Square. Nice. And is this your first full run up in Edinburgh then? It's going to be my first full run, yes. Uh, looking forward to it? Nervous? But how are you kind of feeling going into that? Super excited. Yeah. Not that nervous, but just more excited and like sort of pumped up for it. Yeah, it's an amazing festival. We'll be there as well. So yes. We'll have a drink at some point or something. But yeah, I think, and it's just a, an amazing city to be in and doing a show every day is just pretty cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm super excited about it. So yeah, it's going to be something I want to, you know, to be successful. So. And the show is Black Magic. The show is Black Magic. Yes, it's Black Magic. <laughs> Super. I mean, that's pretty much everything I wanted to chat about. Is there any kind of anything else you wanted to add there? Uh, you know, like I said, I'm going to be I'm at the Underbelly on the South Bank on June the 12th and June the 26th, um, doing my current stage show. Um, I'm also on Instagram, which is at Magical Bones. Same on Twitter. Same on Facebook. So please check me out. And that's pretty much it. Awesome. Cheers, dude. Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cade and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast.